The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If your Bibles or apps, would you open them with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2? 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're actually going to begin by reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the text this morning is verses 1 through 8, but we're going to begin by looking at 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Let me remind you that uh, when you walk out the rear doors down the hallway, if you just give a swab to those folks, it's a marrow swab and uh, takes about five minutes at the most to just take a swab from you and it uh, will qualify you to help someone who may need a marrow transplant in months ahead if you are a match with them. And when I pray, we're going to pray also for the Henson family, Nathan and Kristen, uh, dear friends of ours. They are missionaries in Cusco, Peru. And uh, there's actually been a death threat against any Americans in that community. So uh, I'm not sure. Are they evacuating or are they going to evacuate? We don't know. We don't know what's happening there. So Nathan and Kristen, Nathan uh, did ophthalmology residency here, part of our body for five and a half years. And uh, we're going to pray for them. They have two little kids. One's an adopted Peruvian that they adopted when they were there just uh, in the last few months and just had their own baby uh, biological within the last couple of months. So we'll pray for them when we pray in a moment as we actually do a study on prayer. So it's only appropriate that we do that. First Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy in the first chapter, we've already looked at it for three weeks actually, and uh, Paul has told Timothy, stay on in Ephesus, deal with the false teachers that are there. There are problems within the church, Timothy. You're the pastor. Don't leave. Confront the problems that are there. In fact, there are many whose faith has been shipwrecked. Among those are Hymenaeus and Alexander, and we studied those guys yesterday. Paul says, I delivered them over to Satan. He's excommunicated them from the body, and we looked at that last week. And then Paul, in in uh, chapter 3, says, Timothy, I, I want to come to you, but I may be delayed. And if I'm delayed, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure, I'm writing this to make sure that you understand the purpose of the church. What's to happen when the church is gathered? So now we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, which are the initial instructions he gives to Timothy after he tells him to deal with false teachers. Now he turns to a positive stance. He deals with prayer. Timothy, when the church gathers, here's what you should do. I urge you, verse 1, first of all, that intercession, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, so that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Father, we uh, come to intercede first of all on behalf of Nathan and Chris and their family. Father, we don't know all that's happening there, but we pray for your divine protection over them. Pray that you would send your angels of mercy to guard them. And we pray that uh, the group that's making these threats, Father, we first of all pray for their salvation. And then we pray for their undoing. And Father, we come to the word today to understand prayer, the priority of prayer, and why we should pray and how we should pray. And so I pray that you would teach us about prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Obviously, my thoughts have been on the topic of prayer all week. I mean, this is the passage I study at home on Tuesday mornings and uh, start thinking about the message. And so this week, my mind has been filled with prayer. But up front, I'm going to give you a disclaimer. In my spiritual life, and I've told you this before, in my spiritual life, perhaps the, the most difficult area is prayer. I, I love to study the Word, and it's easy for me to study the Word. I love looking at the Word, being in the Word, and delivering the Word. It's easy for me to fellowship with you. I enjoy being with you. I enjoy spending time with you. I enjoy eating meals, hanging out, talking about the goodness of God, and spending time. I love to share Christ with unbelievers and talk about what the Savior has done for them. But prayer doesn't come easily. doesn't come easily. So I struggle. So I, I, I issue that up front. I preach out of my weakness today. I can identify with Stuart Briscoe. Many of you have heard Stuart preach. He did our men's conference a few years ago. He preaches here once a year. Well, we've got the opportunity, or we have the opportunity to hear from him about the third week in March. He'll be back in town, and it's a real privilege to have him with us. And so he will do that. In one of his books, he's written over 40 books, one of his books he writes on prayer. And I can so relate to his words. He says, I freely admit that my prayer life has been deficient. In my growth in this area, less than stellar. I believe in prayer, but don't always do it. I understand that I'm told to pray, but I don't always obey. I'm an activist by nature. I am not contemplative by temperament. I am not happy with the state of affairs and have given much thought to what prayer is, what prayer does, and what I need to be doing about it. Can you identify with Stuart at all? I mean, that's how I feel many times. I read biographies of guys like John Knox, who was a prayer warrior. It was easy for him to get up at 3 a.m. and to pray for hours. If I get up at 3 a.m., I'm going to fall asleep if I start praying. I am not ADD until I start to pray. And then everything in the world seems to pop into my mind. John Knox is Queen Queen Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, who persecuted believers back in England during her reign, said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear 10,000 militia. The prayers of John Knox. And so when we look at God's word and when we see what we're supposed to be about, we are supposed to be men and women of prayer. When we gather together, we're to pray. When we come together, we're to pray. When we scatter from here, we're to pray. The church gathered and the church scattered is to be about prayer. There are many aspects of prayer. I listen to people pray. I'm with people who pray. I can relate to what Tony Evans says about prayer. He was a professor at Dallas Seminary. Now he's a teacher at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, pastor there. He says, some people in my church are very emotional when they pray. They seem to pour their hearts into the issue at hand. They pray passionately, often with tears and with great drama. Others need a list to pray so they can make sure they cover everything. If they're in a group and someone misses a request, they're the folks that will come back and help you to remember it. Others pray militantly. It seems to me that they rebuke Satan as demons more than they address God. Some believers pray almost exclusively using scriptures. Others carry a two-way conversation saying something, then being silent and waiting for God to answer and talking and listening some more. Some pray short prayers, some pray long prayers, some pray for minutes, some pray for hours. Some believers use a spiritual language. They pray like the King James Bible, O thou who art the God in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They use these and doubts which we do not understand. Some speak in tongues, but the issue is not how you pray. He concludes the issue is that you pray. He's right. He's right. There are other aspects of prayer. I mean, when you pray, do you pray believing? 
<clears throat> scriptures tell us to pray believing that if we ask in the name of Christ, we have. But oftentimes we, we're astonished when he answers those prayers. I am, you are, and we struggle with it. There's a little girl in Romania that believes God answers prayer. little girl in Romania. A kitten belonging to a Romanian pastor was stranded in his tree. It was a kitten he had just bought for his family. To get it down, he threw a rope over a branch. He tied the other end of the rope to the bumper of his car, and he began to pull the branch back. As soon as he got the branch nice and taut, all of a sudden it snapped. When it snapped, it, it flung the kitten high in the air, through the air, and the kitten was nowhere to be found. Gone. My kind of cat, by the way. The next day, the pastor met the neighbor behind him who also attended his church. He said, Pastor, you're never going to believe what happened yesterday. My little girl has been begging for a kitten. I told her she could only have one if Jesus sent it to her. (laughs) When I told her that, she ran outside, knelt down on the ground and prayed, Jesus, please give me a kitty of my very own to love and care for. Amen. Just then, right out of the sky, Jesus dropped a kitty into her lap right there. The little girl in Romania who believes in prayer, right? When to pray, how to pray. Do you believe in prayer? Prayer in the church. What do you do? When I was a kid, we had something called the pastoral prayer. Did you have that in church you grew up in? The pastoral prayer. My sister's here with them, my folks. and uh, I I don't know, as a teenager especially, to, to have to endure the pastoral prayer was amazing. The record for pastoral praying at First Baptist Church, Marrera, a suburb of New Orleans where I grew up, Mr. Jenkins, who was one of our deacons, one of my best friend's dad, Mr. Jenkins prayed for five minutes and 32 seconds once. <laughs> you want to know how I know that? My senior in high school, we timed the pastoral prayers. I, I mean, it, it got to where it was when Mr. Jenkins prayed. It's like a, it, was, it, it was interesting. Uh, it sometimes like an announcement. Dear Lord, we pray for the youth who are going to gather in the gym at 5 o'clock this afternoon. And his prayer was like an announcement. Sometimes his prayer would be, uh, Lord, we, it would be, it would be chastisement. Be, Lord, we pray that the offering this morning is generous because it hadn't been very generous the last three weeks. <laughs> or sometimes like an organ recital where he prayed for somebody's kidneys, somebody's lungs, somebody's feet. I mean, just prayed for organs over and over. But he, at least he prayed. That's what I would say. So how do you pray in a church? Let me remind you, when the church at Ephesus gathered together, it was not a meeting like this. I mean, it was not a meeting of thousands of people on Sunday morning, and it wasn't in a building like this. Actually, it was a a meeting of probably 30 or 40 folks, and they met in homes. They couldn't lease buildings, rent buildings, or or build churches at that time. The church was in its infancy. And so they gathered together in small groups, and Paul is saying, when you gather together, this is what you're supposed to do. And if you look at what Paul says to do, he says you pray. Samuel Chadwick, who was one of the early Puritans, said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So we're supposed to pray. In fact, Paul begins a section, if you look at chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, First of all, I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. If you write in your Bibles, underline first of all and underline all people or all men. He says, first of all, first priority here, the first thing that we're supposed to be about is praying. When the church gathers, we're supposed to pray. 
We're supposed to pray for folks like the Hintons. We're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to pray for the body of Christ. We're supposed to pray for leaders. We're supposed to pray for those that are lost. When the body gathers together, we're to pray. First of all, he says, make prayer a priority of the church. Make it a priority of the church. A.J. Gordon, a preacher in the 1900s in Boston, said this, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. And so we are to be men and women in prayer. We are to be a body who prays together. First of all, he says, pray. He gives four different words for prayer, basically saying, when you come together, pray. You can offer entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving. You can have hearts filled with praise, hearts filled with intercession, hearts filled with gratitude towards your God. The most important thing is to pray. And then he says, you pray for whom? All people. All people. You say, come on, Gary, really, all people. All people. All people. And then he specifically says, you pray for those who are leaders among you. You pray for those who are in positions of leadership. You pray for those who are kings in authority over you. Now, who was the king when Paul wrote this? Any idea? A guy named Nero. Nero was a king. Asking the first century church to pray for Nero would be like asking the Jews to pray for Hitler. I mean, he began open persecution. He was the first king to bring out open persecution among believers. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs or any other work at that time, when the persecution of the early church, the church was persecuted. Nero was the, begin- the king who began persecution among believers. He did dastardly things. He did things like take believers who were Christians. He had his men do this. He would dip, dip them in pitch and tar. The Appian Way was the main highway in and out of Rome. He would take Christians. He would, he would dip them in pitch and tar, have them dip in pitch and tar, have them hung on a cross to be crucified, and he would light them on fire so he could have street lamps on the Appian Way. He would take believers, and they would kill animals. They would stuff believers inside these animal skins, and they would throw them in the middle of the pit where the gladiators would be or a pit where animals would be, and they would let wild animals out so that they could come and and basically eat them alive. It goes on and on with the dastardly deeds that Nero did against Christians. And he says, Paul says to Timothy, have the church pray for the king. Scriptures tell us to pray for for those in authority over us. Some of you think, I don't like the people in authority over us. I I don't want to pray for the people in authority. I'd prefer to complain about them, mock them, or lampoon them. I'd rather not pray for them. The scriptures are very clear. Godly men and godly women pray for those in authority over them. And some of you say, Gary, I'll pray. I'll pray like David prayed for his enemies. I'll pray the imprecatory psalms. You know what the imprecatory psalms are? It's David praying against his enemies. Here's a prayer of David's from Psalm 58 against his enemies. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Tear out the fangs of these lions. And some of you say, that's the way I want to pray about my enemies right there. That's me. But let me remind you of the words of Jesus. Jesus said this, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say that you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What godly men and godly women do is that when they are met with enemies and those who persecute them, they turn those cares into prayers. But we are to be those who intercede and love those who stand against us. And so the scriptures are very clear. Very clear. And some of us should be convicted right now because instead of praying for those who have authority over us, we would rather lampoon, we would rather complain, we'd rather bellyache about those who are in those positions of leadership. And the scriptures tell us very clearly, pray for those in authority over us. 
As, as I said, this is a difficult area in the spiritual life for me. I, I wrestle with this. But scriptures are pretty clear. We're to pray for those in authority over us. So I thought, well, I did that in my own quiet time this week as I studied the Word, but what more appropriate place to do it than right here at TBC? We're blessed with a number of people in our body who are in authority over us. They are in authority over us, either in the positions they serve or they exercise authority over us to protect and preserve our land. So this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. If you are an elected official, maybe you serve on a city council in one of our communities, on a school board, maybe a judge or any elected position, I'm going to ask if you would stand and just keep standing right now. An elected position, go ahead and stand right now and keep standing. We've got a number of folks that are here uh, over the weeks. A, there we go, back over there, back over here. If you're in an appointed position, if you are in a, keep standing, guys. If you're in an appointed position, if you're in a state position, federal position, or a county position, or any, any local area, maybe you've been appointed to a school board, maybe you've been appointed. I'm a civil service commissioner for the city of Temple. means whenever firemen and policemen have uh, issues on and to appeal the exams they take, then I'm one of three commissioners that gather together and we look at what's been done and decide whether or not we should grant them points based on the tests that they've taken. So if you're in any of the commissions appointed to any board in our areas, would you stand? It may be state, it may be local, it may be federal. Would you stand so we can pray for you in one second? If you are those who exercise authority over us, if you look at verse Three, verse 2, it says, they exercise authority over us so we can lead a tranquil and quiet life. That is, so that we can live godly lives. And so if you are those who protect and preserve the peace for us, if you're a police officer in law enforcement of any kind or a fireman, or if you're in the military, you protect and preserve the peace and freedom we have, would you stand so we can pray for you in a second? Any law enforcement, firemen, military, any of you who are there today, we've got a bunch of them, look at that, and we thank God for each of you. I want to pray for you. Pray for these men and women. Here's what I want to do, though. I want to make sure somebody's touching every one of them. So either you get up and move to where they are. I just want you to, t- to touch them so we can pray for them right now. Get up. Go ahead and get out of your seats and uh, make sure you got your hands on some of these men and women so we can pray over them. Father, we are forever grateful for the freedom we have in Christ and we're forever grateful for the freedom we enjoy as a nation. And Father, for these men and women who serve in our local areas, who serve in positions where they've been appointed or elected, we give you praise for them. We thank you. They're godly men and women who seek to lead us and seek to protect us. And so, Father, we pray this day for them. We pray that you'd bless them. We pray that you honor them. We pray you'd give them wisdom in their decisions, and you would help them as they execute that which they've been called to do. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you thank these folks who serve and exercise their authority? He says, uh, you, you, you have this position, not so we can live the American dream, but so that we can live at peace, so the gospel will go forth unhindered by its message and its messengers. That's why we pray for you. That's why we pray that these things will happen so that we can be conveyors of the gospel in the world we live in. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. It's a good thing. And then he goes on and he says, uh, not only should you pray for all men who are in leadership, but uh, all people who are lost. He says, this is the good and acceptable thing. He desires, God desires, verse 4, all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, you read that verse, you should have some questions. The primary question is this, Gary, if God desires all men to be saved, why aren't they? If God desires all men to be saved, why aren't they? 
We're going to pass out index cards. You're going to write your name on it, and you're going to answer that, and we're going to pass them in. We're not going to do that. All these heads went down as soon as I said that. You're not going to make eye contact with you. What's it mean? God desires all men to be saved. Why aren't they? There's a difference between, let me give you a very simplistic answer. There's a difference between God's desires and God's decrees. There's a difference between God's desires and God's decrees. God desires, he has a passion for all to come to Christ. He has not decreed that all are saved. In fact, some of you say, well, Gary, you know, you taught us in Ephesians 1, you taught us about the doctrine of election, and so uh, you, you pray for lost people. Yes, I do. I believe that God desires for us to pray, and somehow he uses those prayers to bring to faith those that he has elected. And so he says, I want you to pray. I want you. It's a good and acceptable thing before God. God desires all men to be saved. In fact, the scriptures tell us that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that God desires for all. He desires for the nations to, to come to faith. In the NIV commentary, Walter Liefeld has written that said, God desires for us to pray for everyone because God desires for everyone to be saved. God has a heart for the nations. In First Kings chapter 8, uh, verse 60, he says, I've chosen you so that all the people, talking to Israel, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. In First Chronicles, he says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. God loves the nations. God loves the peoples. In Psalm 2, he says, ask of me and I will, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. In Psalm 67, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. In Isaiah 45, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. And perhaps the most familiar verse of all scripture talks about God's love for the world. Would you read it with me? John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some, slow, some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. God loves the people of the world so much that he sent his son to be their mediator. If you look at the next verse, it says he has sent his son as our mediator. In fact, if you look at verse six, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry, there is one God. There are not many gods. There are not a pantheon of gods. There are not hundreds of gods. God is not a stick. God is not a tree. God is not the sun. God is not Muhammad. God is not any other other than himself. There is one God, not many gods. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. There are not many ways to God. There's only one way to God. There's one God, and there's only one way to God, and that is through the mediator. The mediator is his son, Jesus Christ. A mediator is one who seeks to bring peace between people who are at odds, and so he seeks to bring peace and reconciliation. Who's at odds? Mankind is at odds with God, and so he sent a mediator. The mediator would be his son who came to bring reconciliation between lost man so that we could be saved and know God himself. There's one God one mediator. There are not many ways to heaven. There are many pathways to heaven. It's not good. You can't be good enough. You can't trust in some other God. You can't trust in some gods. You can only trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. It says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a what? A ransom. What is a ransom? It's when you pay for someone to be freed. And here's the amazing thing, friends. Christ not only paid the ransom, he was the ransom. Christ not only paid the ransom, he became the victim. He became the ransom for us. One of the songs we sing said, even though he was innocent, 
he took on our sin. He became sinful. The sins of the world rested upon the shoulders of our Savior. And so when you pick these two verses apart, what you see is we should pray for the lost because there's only one God, there's only one mediator, that's Christ Jesus, who can bring man into peace with God. And this one gave himself as a ransom. He himself was the ransom. He paid the price so we can have freedom in him. Amen? That's why we worship him. That's why we adore him. That's why we partake of the Lord's table. That's why we sing songs about our Savior. And that's why we love him. And it says, I'm telling you the truth. I have been appointed a preacher for this. I am a herald for this. This is what God has called me to do. This is what God has called me to do. By the way, if Christ is our mediator, the scriptures tell us a couple other things. This is a passage on prayer. If he is our mediator, we have no need to pray to anyone else except him. We have no need to pray through men, no need to pray through saints, no need to pray through Mary. Some of you grew up in traditions where that took place. But Christ is our mediator. We come to him. He is the one who intercedes for us. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Romans 8, he's at the right hand of God interceding for us. First John chapter 2, the second part of that, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Christ is presently seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you. You can pray to him anytime you want. Anytime. The veil has been rent and you can come into his presence. He is the one who is your mediator. And so you come to him in prayer and you come to him for salvation. And Paul finally says you pray with a pure heart. You pray from a pure heart. If you look at verse 8, it says, I want the men in every place to pray. I want you to lift up holy hands without wrath or dissension. When he says lift up holy hands, he's not saying your hands themselves are holy, but holy hands stand for a life that is holy. The scriptures talk about that in several places. He's saying, I want your relationship with God. He says, Timothy, tell them when the church gathers, I want the men to lead out in prayer, and I want their lives to be filled with holy hands. That is, they are to be right before God. And he says, I want you to do it without wrath and dissension, without anger and dissension. That is, they are to be right with one another. And so when you come to pray, you come with a pure heart. That means your heart is right with God. And on the vertical, your heart is right with others without wrath or dissension, anger or dissension. And therefore, you then come to God. I'll add one verse to that, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, granting her honor as a fellow heir of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And what that verse teaches is if we as men are at odds with our wife, God does not hear us pray. I didn't make it up. You jot down 1 Peter 3, 7. Take a look at it. So men, I'm beating up on you. You've got to be right with your wife for God to hear your prayer. Bring your wife next week because I'm preaching on the role of women, the next section. And we'll beat up on her. To the glory of God. (laughs) But the scriptures tell us here we are to pray with pure hearts. Pray with pure hearts. And so you pray for your leaders, you pray for the lost, and you pray with pure hearts. That's what we're to be about. Pretty simple. But do we do it? Do we do it? And he says, I want men to lift up holy hands. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Interesting statement. You look around a TBC service and you think, man, who are those weirdos raising their hands sometimes? I mean, some people raise hands, some don't. Some of you saying, I would never raise my hand. Hey, somebody walked in with a gun and said, raise up your hands. I'm not going to do it in church. I mean, how many of you really struggle raising your hands in church? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, guys, it's not the posture of prayer that your body's in. It's the posture of your heart. 
not the posture of your body, it's the posture of your heart. Jewish men prayed with their hands extended and palms up. And he's saying, I, I want the men to lift holy hands and pray. But if you go through the scriptures, you see people pray when they're standing, when they're sitting, when they're lying down. You see some holding up hands. You see some kneeling. It's not the posture of your body in prayer. It's the posture of your heart. But a lot of people like to raise hands, right? I grew up in a church where if you raised your hands, you'd probably get shot. Probably get shot. Uh, Bev says it's safe to raise your hands at TBC because I never call on you if you raise your hand. I won't do that. Uh, when I was at the men's conference this past week, I went to one of the workshops. The workshop I went to is Mark Whitaker, and he showed a little section on raising hands in church. See if you can identify with Tim Hawkins. He's a Christian comedian, does a good job on raising hands in church. I go to a hand-raising church for worship. There's a lot of hand-raising going on. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Okay. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? Well, I do. But if you ever, if you're not used to hand raising in church, you want to go to a hand raising church, pl- please feel free to join. But don't feel like you got to start right in and join right in, because there's different levels of hand raising, and we have different names for our hand raises. So, real quick, I'm going to walk you through the different hand raises and the names we have for them. Say so you come to my church, the music is rocking. Start slow. Start with your hands in the pockets. Elbow flap. You're fine. Okay, you ready for the first one? Okay, carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Go to big screen. Big screen. There you go. Big screen. Next one's called My Fish Was This Big. My Fish Was This Big. Ready? Hold my baby. Hold my baby. Mufasa, regular, whatever you want to do. It's your choice. Next one's called Dueling Light Bulbs. Dueling Light Bulbs. Righty tighty, lefty Jesus, whatever you want to do. Okay, the next one's an original. You have the goalpost. You're a goalpost. You're high. Feeling good. Throwing a variation. A little heartburn. Either side. Heartburn. Heartburn. Either side works. You're pretty high now. The next one is three variations. The same theme. It's one hand. You got pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Okay. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Press it out. Press it out. Give the Lord a high five. Go for it. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. (laughs) And when you're comfortable there, you're ready for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. Where do you go from there? You go vertical. You go vertical. Don't be getting all horizontal. Stay in your space. Don't get too crazy. We've all seen that lady, haven't we? <laughs> She's a little too free in worship. Brings her own flag to church. <laughs> no, Jesus loves you, but you're annoying. Put that down. What is that, a javelin? Put the worship javelin down. Don't throw it. Yeah, I'm going to throw it. So true, isn't it? Isn't that true? Hey, here's the issue, guys. The issue is not our posture in prayer. The issue is that we pray. God isn't concerned about your eloquence. He's concerned about your earnestness. Concerned about your heart. 
Last February, February a year ago, uh, our staff team, instead of going away to a conference, we went to New York City and cobbled together a conference. We did a number of things. One of the things we did is uh, we read books by a couple of different authors. We invited them in to meet with us, paid them a little bit, and sat and then discussed their books with them. Great time with those guys. The other thing we did, we served homeless for a day. We went out to some parks and went out to some rescue missions, and we served for a day. One of the other things we did is on Tuesday night of that week, we went to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Have you ever been to the Brooklyn Tabernacle? They do something on Tuesday nights. They have a prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. Their auditorium seats 3,500 people. We seat 1,200. They seat 3,500. The prayer meeting starts at 7 o'clock. At 4.30, people start lining up on the sidewalk to get into the auditorium. 4.30 in the afternoon, they start lining up. 5 o'clock, the doors open, and they have a number of people who are trained prayer counselors. And so if you come in at 5 o'clock from 5 to 7 until they actually start their service, you come and you pray with somebody, then you go and you be seated, you wait for the, the service to start, you visit with friends or you pray or whatever you do. And then at 7 o'clock, it's really a, a worship service of sorts, and uh, then it's a time of prayer. And the Tuesday night that we were there was an amazing time for us. I told you the story last year when we first got back, and about once a quarter, they choose a country to pray for. And so their prayer time that night was praying for a country. And uh, Jim Sabal is a senior pastor of that church, and he said, uh, we're going to pray for the country of Rwanda. Of all the countries in the world I pray for, they choose Rwanda. I've been there several times. Celeste, my dear friend and brother, is from Rwanda. Uh, we are trying to establish a relationship with a church there to be a sister church right now. And it just so happened last February, with us were Chase and Laura Bowers, our global outreach pastor, and uh, they had just adopted their son Jeb three months before from Rwanda. It was an amazing time. We were mush. I'm telling you, we're crying all over the place. Uh, they introduced us as a staff team, and we had a bunch of us there, 20-something of us. And, and I said, by the way, I mean, I'm this big auditorium, I'm over here, and we introduced, and they wave. And, and then I, I just boldly said, by the way, pastor, our missions pastor here, and they just adopted a baby from Rwanda. Well, he brought them up. He prayed over them, prayed for Jeb, who was back here in Temple. And, I mean, we just, it was a mess. It was a mess, a good mess. And then he said, if you're from Africa, I want you to come up. Well, if you've been to Brooklyn, I mean, there are people from every country in Brooklyn, and this is a huge church, and so over 40 people from Africa, over 60 people from Africa come on the stage. And he prayed over them. And he says, anybody from Rwanda? One lady from Rwanda. He said, I'm going to have you pray for us. And in her native tongue, Aki Rwandan, she prayed. Powerful. Just a powerful evening. Well, we came back from that and we said, you know, we can't do what they do. We're not wired that way. It's not what we do. But we do need a time of car prepared TBC. We don't do that often. And honestly, we were remiss. We were remiss. It was my job and job of uh, Danny, our executive pastor, to put that together. And, and, you know, life gets busy and there are many things to do here, as you can imagine. We've got a lean staff intentionally and we just didn't pull it off. And so... One of the things I was convicted about as I prayed through this message and prayed for this message about things that we can apply as a body was, first of all, to pray for all the folks that stood up, to challenge you to be in prayer. And then secondly, that we're going to begin having a Monday night once a quarter, only once a quarter. On a Monday night, it'll be the last Monday of each quarter where we're going to gather together to pray corporately. And I don't know if we're going to have 10 people here. We're going to have 1,500 people here. It doesn't matter, really. We're just going to pray. We have time of worship. We'll bring some worship with us, and we're going to pray. And so the first time that's going to happen is Monday, March 25th. You can put it on your calendar, and you can join us if God leads you to do so. 
and we're going to gather together to pray. That's what God instructs us to do. He says, first of all, of primary importance, chapter 2, verse 1, pray. So we're going to start praying. Uh, we, we pray, but we're going to start setting aside a time of corporate prayer just to see what God does. And so we'll do it to his glory, to his honor, and honor him through prayer. God says, first of all, Timothy, Paul, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, first of all, when the church gathers, pray for leaders, pray for the lost, make sure your heart's pure, and pray. Father, that's our desire. Be men and women of prayer, a church of prayer that honors you. And so, Father, take our meager gifts and bring yourself great glory. We intercede once again for the Hensons, Father, our dear friends. Protect them. Deliver them. Pray for ourselves, Father, that we would be men and women who honor you with our lives, that when we or the church scattered, we would be men and women of prayer. When the church gathers, we would be men and women of prayer. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, you need to pray your first prayer, the prayer of confession, asking him to be your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe you're like me. You know Christ, you walk with Christ, you're mature in Christ, but you struggle in this area. Maybe the Spirit's convicted you. I just pray that you pray. And maybe you're the strongest prayer warrior we have. I pray that God will give you long years so that you can keep interceding on behalf of those in this body. Father, it's our prayer that we would pray in Jesus' name.